such things as this. I want to put it in its place in the meta-narrative, the great story of redemption in human history. And then having understood it and put it in its rightful place, I want to make sure we're learning what we're supposed to learn from it, because I guarantee you it's here as a teaching tool. It's here as a tool of pedagogy. We are supposed to look at it and not just say, oh, isn't that something? There's a coronavirus in the world. No, we're supposed to say, what does that mean? What's that supposed to impress upon me? What am I supposed to learn from that? How do I change in response to that? What do I take home from that? And so I don't want you to waste it, so we're going to try to understand it. That'll be the first leg of our journey and the longer leg today. And then the second leg of our journey, don't waste it. Let's understand it. Let's try to develop a biblical, theological, Christian perspective on pandemics, and for that matter, not just on pandemics, but for all bad stuff. If a volcano erupts in your backyard, that's bad stuff. This will cover that. If there's a tsunami and it washes your house away, that's bad stuff. This will cover that. This is a biblical, theological perspective, a vantage point on pandemics and all bad stuff. But obviously, because of coronavirus, it's especially about pandemics. Now, where do we go in God's Word? You can start typing this to each other, type the answer to each other. Where do we go in God's Word to begin understanding the presence and the existence and the origin of and the purpose for pandemics? Hmm? Where do we go? There's some of you in this room. Somebody shout it out. Where do we go? Yeah, the book of Genesis. So you remember Genesis chapter 1, we get the overview overview of the seven days of creation. God created. It was good. 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 It was very good. And then on the seventh day, there was rest. Then we get to chapter 2, and we zero in on the creation of the man and the woman. And then we get to chapter 3, and what happens in Genesis chapter 3? I know I talked about this a couple weeks ago in the Wednesday night, so I'm not forgetting that, but I wanted to spend a little more time on it here. What is it that happens that informs us about coronavirus in Genesis chapter 3? Well, here's what happens. God had set up a test for our first parents. He placed them in this beautiful garden, this place of beauty and bliss and ease and delight. And he told them, any tree, any of the things that are growing in the garden, you can eat, the animals can eat. But for you humans, there's only one thing. There's one prohibition. There's one do not. There's one negative. There's one don't. And it is, there's one tree in the middle. Interesting that he put it in the middle where they'd have to see it all the time. Not out on the periphery somewhere where they might bump into it once every seven years. Right in the middle of the garden, there's one tree, and here's your one prohibition from that tree, do not eat. Now, it's not that there was inherently anything right or wrong about the tree. It wasn't a tree that had poison in it or something. It was a test tree, and the test was this, to see, is God going to be God to them, or are they going to take their own reins and become God to themselves? That was the test, and you know the story. They took, and they ate. And ever since then, we are living in a post-apocalyptic world. What they did was absolutely, I am not exaggerating, it was absolutely apocalyptic. They blew the place up. They destroyed the place. It's ashes ever since then uh, falling out of the sky. They, they messed this planet up, and literally all hell break lo- broke loose on the planet. We know our whole race fell. Read Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul. We all sinned, as the uh, con- uh, Confession of Faith says, we all sinned in them and fell with them in their first transgression. We would have done the same thing, so God just lumped a whole bunch of us in them, and we all fell when they fell. We all took an eight when they took an eight. 
We all destroyed the planet when they destroyed the planet. Talk about save the planet. Save the planet is, Lord Jesus, come back. That's how you save the planet. We destroyed it, and the only way it's going to get saved is for Jesus Christ to come back. I don't mean we shouldn't be responsible stewards. We should be. But our race fell, and there were effects of that. And it's only just and it's only right, and I would say it's pretty much demanded that there be some effects of such a catastrophic event that put us in such a post-apocalyptic East of Eden world. It would not be right of God to say, okay, you just blew up the whole planet. You just became gods and rejected me as God. You just ruined everything, and I'm going to have to uh, just live with this now, but bless you. You're nice people, and come on, you can stay in Eden, and everything will be fine, and the fruit will still be good fruit, and life will still be wonderful. No, God had to put an exclamation point behind what humans just did. He had to create changes on the planet that would accentuate and emphasize, look what you've done. Look at the severity of what you've done. Look at the effects I'm rolling out to make an impression upon you. This was big. It's like if you come home one day, you went out to get some groceries with social distancing, and you come home, and you bring the groceries uh, up the driveway, and you look, and the kids, you have some boys and, and they were playing with matches, and they burned your house down. Do you, do you put an exclamation point behind what they just did? Or, or do you say to them, well, boys and boys, it's okay, guys. There's plenty more houses. We'll go buy another one. No, I think you say, this was really bad, and to show you how bad it was, I've got to do something. It's not that I want to do these things, but I've got to show you something. This is what God did after our fall. He put a huge exclamation point. He put them all over the planet, and every one of them shouts at us, look how bad that was. Look how bad it is when you reject me as God and choose to become your own gods. Look how bad it is when you sin. Look how bad it is when you break my commandments. There were effects. Let's zero in on some of the effects. First, to the serpent. Um, The Lord said, you're cursed above all the animals. All the animals were cursed, but you're more cursed. There's a curse upon life on the planet. Degeneration and death started for life on the planet. And then he said to the woman, I'm going to increase your uh, conception. You're going to have more babies than you would have otherwise. Maybe it would have been one baby every seven years before. Now it can be one baby every nine months or two or three babies in nine months. Uh, He says, I'm going to greatly increase your conception, and it's going to be painful. Going to be painful. And to the man he said, and here I'll put this verse up for you, Genesis 3.18, by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread, just as an aside, tongue-in-cheek aside. That would be a great verse for Panera to put up over their front doors. All right, there's a few people in here laughing. Thank you very much for that. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Listen to these next words. Till you return to the ground. What had God told them? If you eat from that, surely you shall die. And now he says, yep, you started the clock ticking, and you're going to sweat and work and eat your bread till you return to the ground. What's return to the ground? It's death. Now there's death on the planet. And what does death come by? Well, it comes by many things. It comes by accidents, falling off a bridge. That'll do the job. It comes by various kinds of illnesses. You can have a heart attack. You can have a stroke. You can have cancer. You can have various things. And it comes by things like coronavirus. This is where coronavirus comes from. 
It comes as a direct result of our rebellion against our Creator and a holy God. It came as a result of our fall, and it is one of God's many, many, many ways of teaching us in mercy and accentuating to us, you burned the house down. I've got to teach you how bad that is. Look at what you did. Here are results. And we're supposed to look at coronavirus and tornadoes and hurricanes and tsunamis and volcanoes erupting on people's homes and cities, and all of them we're supposed to say, man, every one of these is a sign of our rebellion and the cost the cost. We live in a post-apocalyptic world. To read on in that verse, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. To dust you shall return. Disease is a prelude to death. Disease is part of the route to death. Disease, coronavirus, is a precursor to death. You're all going to die now. Statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one person dies. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. We all have an appointment with death. So you're going to return to, to dust, and it's important that you understand this is because of what you did. Disease is a prelude to death. This is why there is coronavirus, because we, with our first parents, we would have done it, so God lumped us all together in them and and said, uh, you as a race fell on that day, and the effects have been horrific and ginormous. You live in a post-apocalyptic world. Coronavirus is a teaching tool. Among other things, it says, look at what you've done. Look how bad sin is. Look how necessary it is that people seek me and come to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a teaching tool. I'm going to take you from Genesis 3 to Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul writes a little commentary on what we just read from Genesis chapter 3. Here it is. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Well, thank God for that, right? That's good news. There are sufferings in this present time. They're nothing. If you had a scale with two pans and you know, an arm that goes across and little chains that hang down, on the one plate over here, you've got a couple specks of dust. That's our suffering. And on the other plate over here, you've got like a universe of atomic weight going, whoom, and it's glory that will be revealed to us. So Paul says, this is nothing. These light afflictions, which we must endure for a little while, are working for us a more exceeding weight of eternal glory, he says elsewhere. But here he says, I consider uh, the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For, here we go, for the creation waits. Now, wait a minute. Creation can't wait. It's inanimate. He's, He's personifying creation. He's giving it Uh, animate characteristics. The creation all around us, the subhuman creation, is waiting eagerly, with, with eager longing, for the revealing of the sons of God. You're a child of God right now. It is not yet revealed what you shall be, but when you see him, you shall be like him. There's a revealing coming. There's, you know, people have a, a gender reveal party. That's kind of cool. I've gotten to go to a few of those, and you find out it's a boy, or it's a, uh, there's a revealing um, there's a revealing of the winner of the lottery. There's, there's going to be a revealing of what a child of God looks like in glory. 
And the whole universe is poised, waiting for that reveal party. Waiting, because when we are glorified, it will be glorified. When we are changed, it will be changed. He says, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the Son of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. That's why there's coronavirus. That's how we put it in the meta-narrative of God's redemption story. We ate the fruit. God put a curse on the earth, and all creation is subjected to futility. Now, I got an idea this morning. I was sitting at a breakfast nook with my phone, reviewing my sermon and drinking my cup of coffee early this morning, and I got to that word futility, and I went, bing, I never thought of this. I wonder, I wonder if that's the same word in the book of Ecclesiastes, the Greek translation of it, where it says vanity of vanities, always vanity, and 34 times he uses the word vanity, 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 vanity in Ecclesiastes, and I got my Greek Septuagint, and I opened it, and I looked at the word, and it's that word, it's matios, matios. Paul was referring to the vanity of the book of Ecclesiastes as a commentary on what happened in Genesis 3, but the creation is subjected to that vanity, Not willingly, it it didn't want this, but because of him, that's God who subjected it. In hope, in hope, in hope, it was subjected in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Its bondage to corruption. Write coronavirus in there. That's bondage to corruption. Where did coronavirus come from? It's part of the bondage to corruption that all creation was subjected to, but it will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So this is why, this is why there's disease. This is why there's disease. We rebelled. There are consequences. We're living with them. It's going to get better by the end of the sermon. Hang in there with me. There's a very nice note coming at the end of the sermon. Right now it's getting heavy. But hang on. Track with me a little longer. Why is there disease? Why is there coronavirus? Because of our fall and God's need to accentuate the severity of our fall. Sometimes in Scripture there's an additional reason for a plague or a pandemic or a coronavirus. It's more granular and it's way more specific than, oh, that's from the fall. Oh, that's from back in Genesis chapter 3. Sometimes there's a more localized, more granular, more specific, more personal reason why there is a plague. And this has led me to ask the question, I'll put this question up for you. Is this disease, or I'll put it down, it's down, isn't it? Usually in our church it's up, now it's down. Um, Is this disease God judging us? What do you think? Type, 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 type. Is this disease, is this God judging us? Is this disease God judging us for national sins? You might be familiar with um, uh, Anne Graham Lotz, Billy Graham's daughter. And she was uh, one of the speakers, and she's a very fine woman, very fine sister in Christ, very fine public speaker. Uh, She looks a lot like her daddy, um, so really interesting. You feel like you're looking at Billy when you see her. But uh, she was at a national prayer breakfast recently in view of coronavirus, and she was, I'm summarizing a lot, she was suggesting that God might be judging us for our national sins, so she led the nation in a prayer of confessing 12 of our national sins uh, with the hope that God then might release us from coronavirus, I think was the implication. Is this disease God judging the United States of America and other nations and the world for our sins or our national sins? 
I'm going to answer, no. Here's why. Next point to put up for me, Rob, please. Sometimes in the Bible, specific judgments are linked to specific sins. Sometimes. <clears throat> Pardon me. Even to national sins. Sometimes in the Bible, specific judgments, this plague, that tragedy, are linked to specific sins. God is saying, I sent that because you did this. It's not Genesis 3, it's what you just did, and I'm meeting out judgment, or it's even about national sins. The Old Testament has a lot, a lot, a lot of examples of this. I'll just mention a few of them. One is, uh, here's one for you guys to type to each other. What enemy of Israel nation was it that stole the Ark of the Covenant? They hauled it away on a cart. Who was that? Anybody in this room got that? Who was that? Yeah, somebody. I don't know who said that. Pastor Jason, way to go, bro. Points for you. It was the Philistines. While they had the ark, what happened to them? Yeah, God visited them with some bad stuff, tumors and whatnot. Why? Because you stole my ark, and you don't deserve to have it, and it's going back to the land. The plagues that fell upon the Philistines were a specific judgment for a specific situation and specific sins that they committed. It wasn't just, oh, Genesis 3, you fell, so I'm visiting with illness. No, it was, you just did something, and I'm going to meet out a plague to help bring you to your senses. Sometimes that's in the Bible. Uh, another example from the Old Testament, Israel, the nation of Israel, kept Loving God and then falling into idolatry, and then repenting and loving God and falling into idolatry, and then repenting and loving God and falling into idolatry. Finally, the last time they fell into idolatry, God said, all right, I got to teach you something. I got to accentuate this. We got to go out to the woodshed for a while. And he put them in bondage in Babylon for 70 years. And when they came out of Babylon, they never turned to idols again. But the reason God made them suffer, in this case not a pandemic, but slavery, the reason he sent them to Babylon for 70 years was a specific judgment due to specific sins that these individuals were committing. Sometimes in the Bible, specific judgments are linked to specific sins, even national sins. Here's the next question for us, Rob, please. How can we know when specific judgments are a result of specific sins? Or to rephrase that... Um, when, how can we establish cause and effect so that we can know, okay, Anne Graham Lotz is right. God is judging us, the United States, for these 12 national sins that she identified, um, and we better repent of these sins or maybe the virus isn't going to go away. How can we know when specific judgments are a result of specific sins? Answer, Hartland's answer, we can only know that when the Bible explicitly says so. The Bible tells me so. That's when we can know things. You don't have a direct pipeline to the secrets of God. Deuteronomy 31, 31, that doesn't sound right, 30. Deuteronomy says uh, the secret things are, are the Lord's. And you don't have a direct pipeline. You don't have a, like a red phone where you can call God. Say, God, would you interpret this to me? What does coronavirus really mean? Oh, God told me this is God's judgment. You don't have that. You don't have that direct line. Here's what you need. You need to either find a verse that says, in 2021, there's going to be a bad, bad pandemic. It's going to be called coronavirus or COVID-19. And I want you all to know that will be a judgment from me upon America for these national sins. You would need that verse. We don't have it. 
Or you would need a verse that says, hey, any time a nation suffers with their part of a pandemic, it's because God is judging that nation for their sins. You would need that verse. We don't have that verse. We don't have anywhere where God is telling us, and you don't have anywhere where God is, and if you think you do, you don't. You don't have anywhere where God is telling you, I am sending coronavirus to judge you for your sins. The way to get rid of the virus is to repent. So sometimes in the Bible, specific judgments are linked, and we're told about a cause and and effect relationship between a nation's or a person's sin and God's judgment, but we're not told, how do we figure out if this is a judgment of God? Let me go to the next slide, Rob, please. More often, more often than the Bible tells us, you have that plague because you stole my ark. You have that plague. You went to Babylon because you're idolaters. More often in the Bible, specific judgments are linked to our fall and to creation's curse and to Genesis chapter 3 over and over and over. Uh, in the Bible, when bad things happen and we look for the cause and effect, usually it's, it's because of the fall. Let me give you an example. Romans chapter 1. The apostle Paul wrote 2,000 years ago, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. That's what Adam and Eve did. They suppressed the truth. He's not God, will be God. His word does not have to be obeyed. The serpent's word can be obeyed. They suppressed the truth. And God's wrath is revealed from heaven against that and against all ungodliness. And this is not God's wrath as revealed in Scripture. If we read on farther, we would see this is God's wrath revealed in general revelation, in nature, in what's happening with humans and things on the planet. Specifically, Paul goes on to say, the very fact that people sin so badly indicates God's wrath by allowing them to do that. God gave them up to do these horrible things. Why did God give them up? Why did he give them enough chain to do those things? It's a demonstration of his wrath in allowing people to go. It's like he's saying, oh, you want to be in the hog pen? All right, go to the hog pen. And he lets them go there when he could have restrained them by his grace. It's a judgment of God. It's rooted in Genesis chapter 3. You want to be your own God? Okay, I'll let you be your own God. It's going to get ugly, and it does. Also, not mentioned by Paul in Romans here, but also rooted in Genesis 3 are pandemics and catastrophes and disasters and accidents and all kinds of terrible things. They are a revelation to us of the wrath of God. Like, you want to type something to each other? Think about this one. What in nature most reveals to you that there is wrath in God? What would it be? Lightning, thunder, Tsunamis, volcanoes, Krakatoa. She blew, man, and it was bad. Uh, Vesuvius. My mother gave me a book about Vesuvius. Blew. It was bad. A lot of people died. What do these things teach us? There is wrath. Surely you don't see a volcano erupt and say, God is so merciful. I see his kindness. No, you see his wrath in that, my friend. What do you see in coronavirus? We have transgressed against a holy, loving God who deserves to be our God. We have shoved him off the throne and become our own gods in his place. We have ruled our own lives and said, I don't need you in my life, God. I'm sufficient by myself. And he says, I got to show you how bad that is. You're burning the house down. 
I got to put some exclamation points in your world. This is where pandemics fit in. More often, it's not some specific sin that God is judging you for. It's Genesis chapter 3. It's our human sin. It's our fallenness. Jesus taught this. Go back with me to Jerusalem back in the days of Jesus 2,000 years ago, and there was a little suburb of Jerusalem called Siloam. There was a pool there. Remember, he interacted with some people at a pool of Siloam once. There was also a tower in Siloam, and one day the tower fell and it killed 18 people. Now, the the going theory, the theology in Israel that kind of explained events like that in that day was, this is because God was judging them because they were bad. They're worse than me. I'm good. They were bad. Bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. We're good. They were bad. That's why they're dead. That was the prevailing understanding of such things in their day. But here's what we read, John chapter 9. Jesus, as he passed by, I'm sorry, I'm I'm in Luke 13. Rob, you probably have it right. Uh, Jesus said, "Uh, about those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Was it, is your theory right? Was it because they were especially bad and God made the tower fall on them because they were bad people? Do you believe they were worse offenders than everybody else in Jerusalem? Jesus says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He's saying, you're just as bad as they were, and they're no worse than you are. That was not a personal judgment for personal sins. It's Genesis chapter 3. Bad things happen on a fallen planet. Towers fall and kill 18 people. Uh, Again, Jesus talks about this in John chapter 9. Let's dive right into it. Uh, As he passed by... He saw a a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? See, there's that view. They thought, oh, if somebody's blind, it's because somebody sinned. Somebody was really bad about something, some secret little sin that they're hiding, and God is judging them for it. Uh, That was their theory. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned. Now, of course, he sinned like everybody else. Jesus means it wasn't some special sin, wasn't some extra horrible sin. It was not that this man sinned, it's not something he did or his parents that they did, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Their working assumption was cause and and effect relationship is something bad happens to you, you catch coronavirus, that's God judging you. Your nation gets a virus, that's God judging you. Jesus says, no, 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 no. This is Genesis 3 territory. This is what happens on planet Earth. So we spent all that time understanding, seeking to understand, trying to understand with our puny little pea brains, where we fit coronavirus into the, the grand redemption story of the Bible, how we make sense of the presence of this thing on our planet. Now I want to turn to, in light of that, what we know about it now, what we've seen about it from Scripture, now let's talk about how we should profit from it how we should not waste it, how we should not squander this time and just like hunker down and wait for it to go away. No, there are, I hesitate to say this, some of you who are the more fearful types, and we know some people are more fearful and some are less, and I'm on the less side of things. No, no praise to me, I'm just born that way. Um, but some more fearful types might have a hard time with me putting it this way, but here it is. There are opportunities for your personal spiritual growth in coronavirus There are huge opportunities. Huge problems create huge opportunities 
always if we can have eyes to see them and hearts to grab them. So what are some of the things we're supposed to be learning during this season of coronavirus? How do we not waste the virus? Here's learning point number one. You're supposed to learn that you're weak. You're weak. We're weak. Life is very, very fragile. It hangs by a thread. Just imagine a teeny little sub-microscopic thing called a virus, and I spent some time this week reading about how viruses work. You should do that. It's really amazing and terrifying. But this tiny little thing has just brought, I don't know, is this right, every nation on our planet to its knees and is crushing the economy of our whole planet? A little invisible thing. It started off probably with one of them. But they get in you and they multiply rapidly and they spread. My brothers and sisters, we are weak. Only one is strong. That is the Lord, our rock, our fortress, our stronghold, our deliverer. And you're supposed to learn in times like this, I am weak and I need to cling to the strong one. Oh Lord, you are my strength. You are my rock. You are my fortress. We are weak. COVID is a wake-up call. Listen to it. Learn about your life. It's very fragile. It hangs by a thread. Better seek God through Jesus Christ. He's strong. Better become a follower of Christ. Here's a second way not to waste coronavirus. Here's a second lesson we should probably learn from it. First, we're weak. Secondly, we're fallen. Why is this happening? Because of our fall. Why is this going on on our planet? Because we, with our first parents, God lumping us in them because we would have done the same. We all rebelled against him. We all decided we would be our own God. We all shoved him off his rightful throne in our hearts. And God says, you're burning the house down. I got to make a point here. I got I to gotta put some exclamation points around the planet. And here's what those exclamation points should tell us. We are fallen. We sinned. Our race is broken. There was a global pandemic of brokenness and sin and departure from God. We need a redeemer, and Jesus Christ is that redeemer. And he will forgive you of the sins of our first sin with our parents, and he will forgive you and me of the sins that we've actually committed in these bodies in our life. And right now, I just want to say to you who are listening, if you have never turned your heart to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have never come to God and said, God, I'm tired of trying to be God. I want you to be God to me. I'm getting out of the God business. I want you to rule my life. And and I understand Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross for me. I want his righteousness to be reckoned over to me, please, and my sins to be laid upon him, and may he bear them for me in his own body on the tree. If you've never turned to the Lord Jesus, I don't know why you're waiting, and I can't imagine a better time than here in the midst of a global pandemic that's got everybody terrified. This would be a very good time for you to get things right with your soul and God and eternity. Would you turn to the Lord Jesus even now? We're going to pray about that together in a minute. But here's a third thing we learn about ourselves in this time. We're idolaters. We're idolaters. Paul tells us in the New Testament that covetousness the 10th commandment of the 10 commandments, covetousness is idolatry. It is 
kicking God off the throne and putting yourself or something else in his place to become the central love, the organizing passion of your life and your soul. Covetousness is idolatry. Now, if we do have a national sin or some national sins, and we do, certainly one of them, in my opinion, would be covetousness. And isn't it interesting? It's as if God is saying to us, oh, I hear you like money. Well, watch this. And a whole lot of our money just went away. COVID, get this, you like this. COVID deals with covet. COVID, covet, COVID, covet. You get it? All right, hang on to that. You should look at COVID and realize we're coveters. Here's a, here's a fourth thing we should learn. This is going to be hard. This one is to believers. This one is for Christians. This one is for you cornerstone people. To a certain extent, some greater and some less, we're phony. And covetous, I'm sorry, and COVID lays our phoniness bare. I'm going to be a little hard on you, but here's, here's what happens sometimes. We say to the Lord, we're having a good time of devotional activity, reading your Bible and praying, and we say to the Lord, oh Lord, my heart is so warm toward you today. I'm totally open to your will. Whatever you want in my life, whatever you want to do with me or do to me or do through me, I submit to you. You're my sovereign. You're my creator. You're my love. You're first in my soul your will in my life, and I will bow and bless you. And then God sends economic disaster, and then God sends coronavirus, and then we say, uh, I, I didn't really mean that. Uh, there, are, there are some limits to the, the scope of my offer, Lord, um, and I'm not sure it's right that you would be de- I've been following you faithfully, you know. I'm not sure it's right that you're dealing out these hard times on our planet we're phony. If we really meant, Lord, whatever you want, whatever you want to bring in my life, whatever you want to do to me, whatever happens, I will rise up and call you blessed. I will seek you faithfully. Then come coronavirus, come economic collapse, come whatever, we will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. What do we say? I bless your name, Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Here's a fifth point. I'm going to close with this one. We're coming down home stretch. The airplane's over the runway. Hang on. Here we go. Fifth point is simply this. In coronavirus, we're looking to Jesus. What does a pandemic do? It teaches you this earth is a dangerous place. It's because of my fall and my participation in the sin of our race. Our life is fragile and hangs by a thread. Life is short, and I'm going to be in eternity soon. I better seek God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're looking to Jesus. And in particular, do you remember how when Jesus was on the earth, and you read about this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, he went about healing and healing and healing. And let me give you one verse, Matthew 15, 30. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. He healed them. Why did he do that? Let me give you quick three reasons. One, it was out of compassion because he loved them. Two, it was to show his credentials. He's God in the flesh. He can heal people. But three, it was also a harbinger, a foretelling, a, uh, an anticipatory deed. It shows what's to come. And the way he healed and healed and healed and healed, the day is coming when he will heal. Let me read you a verse. This is our closing verse, and then we're going to pray. Revelation 21.4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death 
What was the penalty for the crime? Genesis 3, death. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. When Jesus went about healing, 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 it all pointed to, it was all a harbinger of the day when he will heal. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more death. Don't waste COVID. Understand it. Respond to it in faith and in following the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we look up to you and thank you for giving us things in your word that help explain life and the planet and diseases and things to us. We pray now that you'll give us submissive hearts. Give us hearts that bow before you. Lord, there are people listening to this message right now who have never called upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus for their own salvation, the forgiveness of their sins. And I just pray, Father, that you would put it in their hearts right now to pray with me. Father, I realize I have sinned. I shoved you off the throne of my life. I've been doing things my way. But I'm ready to turn to you, and I'm turning. Father, would you have me? I'm turning. I'm calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus, may your death on the cross be good for me. May it cancel out my debt. May it cover my transgressions. Lord Jesus, may I have that eternal life that you speak of in the Bible. If you just prayed that with me, would you go down to that uh, digital connect card that you see right there below me on your screen? And would you click on that? And there is a place on that card where you can just let us know. You just prayed with me about that prayer. You just prayed to receive Jesus Christ. We'd like to know that and get in touch with you and encourage you in your walk with the Lord Jesus. Father in heaven, many of us are believers. We have turned to you. We have turned to the Lord Jesus. Strengthen us in these difficult, uncertain, and fearful times. Stay our hearts upon you, our rock, our Jehovah. For we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.